Hey folks, welcome to Enrollify's latest podcast series, The Modern Student. The Modern Student is a special podcast series that explores how technology is revolutionizing higher ed and engaging students. This special series is brought to you by our friends at Squiz. Squiz is a technology company that is revolutionizing the way higher ed builds digital experiences for its constituents. The Modern Student is hosted by me, Zach Buzicruz from Enrollify, and Jeff Dillon, a senior consultant at Squiz. This series will explore how the modern student is shaping the future of education, how to find and engage new student populations, why marketing and IT and higher ed need each other to thrive, and the future of technology in higher ed. You can learn more about the incredible work Squiz is doing and explore their client case studies at squiz.net, or you can connect with Jeff on LinkedIn via the link in the show notes below. All right, without further ado, welcome to The Modern Student. All right, Jeff, we are live with our first podcast episode in the special series that we're doing with you and the Squiz team. How are you doing today? I'm feeling great, Zach. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's a privilege. I, I'm excited to be chatting with you. And I, I feel like I've followed you on social for, for years. I've seen your stuff, but it's like, it's so funny when you actually get to put like a voice and like a personality behind like the LinkedIn profile picture, you know? <laughs> We do have some overlap on LinkedIn. We we have some very similar interests. So yeah, I love following you too. Yeah, no, it's it, it's been great. Um, and I'm really excited about this series because we, you know, I, I've been privileged to talk to lots of folks in the education space and in the education adjacent space, but admittedly haven't spent too much time talking with folks on the technology front who have a, a special interest in, in, in higher education. So I'm just selfishly excited to, to have this opportunity to spend, I guess it'll be four hours roughly in total uh, with you learning from you, hearing a little bit about who you are, what you've learned over the years, and then talking a little bit about how you think about the future of higher education technology and how it's going to continue to impact how we think about attracting, enrolling, and, and ultimately retaining students. Before we go too much further, I thought it would be uh, important for you to just spend a little bit of time talking about yourself, sharing the audience a little bit about who you are, what your background has looked like, and and then we can dive into the meat of the conversation. Yeah, I'd love to. So I've been in higher ed for over 21 years. I started back at Northern Arizona University in 2000. So I was the first webmaster at NAU, huh. public institution, large public institution. And it was really, they took the position out of IT and put it into marketing. So I was that first guy in marketing who had had to work with IT when they were wondering, like, why is the marketing guy now running our website? <laughs> you know, this guy who probably doesn't know what he's doing. I had a business. I didn't know what I was doing. But it was back in the day where there was just HTML and CSS was just coming out. And so that was my first stint for eight years. Then I moved to Sacramento to take a job as a, the director of um, then it was web services, which evolved into web and mobile services um, in 2008. Okay. So from 2008 to 2013, I was the director, an IT director. And I went to the central IT side of a larger institution, Sacramento State, part of the largest system in the country. And I did that for 13 years and had a team of developers. We managed the learning management system, the um, the web content management system, the search, uh, the search engine, the portal. Um, and legacy applications all over campus. Wow. So it was a standard, you know, it's a pretty common job out there to do that. But we saw the whole mobile revolution come from 
2008 to 2018 from nothing to to owning the world. So that was that was pretty interesting. But what happened in, right before the pandemic, what kind of brought me to where I am is I had this idea and I thought, you know, why doesn't higher ed share share better, share what we're doing better? And, you know, within the CSU system, we share pretty well and you know, we kind of all compete with each other. But, you know, we always have a PeopleSoft SIS and we we have these great groups we collaborate with and like, but we didn't do it that great. And what if you don't work at an institution where you can kind of ping your peer? And I thought, so I created this model called EdTech Connect. It's a crowdsourced model. So yeah. we, we log in, anyone with the .edu email address logs in and, and submits the software they're using in their position at their university. And then we match that up with the Department of Education information and we have real-time tech stacks. So huh. once I started doing that, the pandemic hit and I'm like, wow, this is really valuable because technology is really important now. Um, and I'm doing that on the side of my my job, but I was running into all these amazing companies. Like, what is out there? Because I couldn't take vendor calls in my in my director job. I just didn't have time. Yeah. I stopped answering the vendor calls. And when I started at Tech Connect, I thought, you know what? I should talk to these vendors and find out what's out there if I'm really doing this. So I started taking calls from vendors, find like, what are you doing? What's what solution are you solving? And I couldn't believe what I was running into. It was amazing. So. We started classifying those, and so there's over 800 listed now, and it's just this its this site that runs itself. But I discovered a company in that process um, named Squiz, who's bringing kind of really great technology to the U.S., um, big in Australia, big in the U.K. And once I saw that, I'm like, I want to be on the side of that that can really be involved with more schools and help more people. Yeah. And so I took a leap in early this year and left my pension job at the university to, to work for Squiz full time as the senior uh, sales and business development representative. Wow. So that's my job now. And EdTech Connect is still out there, but th that's a little bit about me. Wow. Wow. I, I had no idea. This is, this is wonderful. This is a real treat. So you were on like the front lines of not just what was happening in the evolution of higher education technology, but was just happening in technology in general, right? Like being able to, yeah, those 10 to 15 to 20 years, like, Talk about sort of like monumental change, right? That happened in how we how we consume information, right? How we uh, how we communicate with with one another. I mean, that is like that. That's a fascinating season to have spent sort of on the on the front lines of all of this. I'm, I'm curious, what um when, when you when you reflect on like the early days of mobile, for instance, what were do you remember some of the conversations that you were having with uh with leadership and and other stakeholders at your respective universities about why mobile like mattered and like how are people thinking about mobile back then yeah that's a great one because that was one of my passions actually in sacramento was was mobile it was really tough um i would say our governance wasn't very mature at that point hmm. in sacramento and so instead of when that when that's the case at a school and i think that's a problem now too sometimes it's like that's really what you need to work on is your web governance and and in that case I kind of just took the ball and ran with it and said, hey, you know what? We need to do this. I found a free framework where it was free for a while. We moved to a commercial framework for a mobile app. But the thing was, is it's hard to convince administrators who are not really your market. There's really this disconnect, right? Yeah. Administ hired administrators versus students. It was always a challenge. But I always, one thing I learned from that was people ask, where are we going to be in five years or 10 years? And and I would say, we, we can't look that up. You can't look that far in advance. I mean, we can look, you get, look, look a few years. We need to plan for the future. But look what happened with mobile in 10 years, yeah. in five years even. Yeah. It went from nothing, didn't exist, to now every, students want everything that way. Uh, so many lessons to learn. Like, that might be a whole episode we should do. 
all the different devices we couldn't predict. One of them was responsive versus um, true native apps. Yeah. Um, you, you know, like, you know, there's a, there's a big debate for a while, whether we should even build it, be building responsive. Yeah. You know, and, and that was really like, I don't know if people really want their screen to be resized, you know, if they're resizing their browser, that just doesn't seem right. I'm like, wow, this is, it's fast. How funny how things change. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Squiz. Squiz is a student experience platform that offers a full suite of solutions developed exclusively for higher education. Squiz has so many exceptional products that are worth checking out, but the two that I've been most impressed by are their custom site search product Funnelback and their website platform, which is a true DXP. And don't worry, I'll explain what that means in just a second. For the next wave of digital natives, search is not ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. And Funnelback enables schools like yours to build custom smart site search. So that way your nursing program actually comes up when someone searches nursing instead of that one nursing faculty event registration page from like two years ago. And their DXP, it's so much more than a traditional website CMS. A CMS is meant for exactly what it claims to be, content management. It's an important part of your marketing tech stack and an important part of the student life cycle. But that's just it. It's just a part. A DXP, a digital experience platform, is built to be the hub of your MarTech stack. It relies on powerful integrations, data management, and an open platform in order to create the kind of experiences simply not possible with a normal CMS. Say goodbye to the finicky plugins of WordPress and the crappy site architecture of Drupal that hurts your SEO and get ready to meet the fastest, most powerful, and most personalized website platform for colleges and universities on the market. Today, the student experience begins online, not at school. And as an enrollment marketer, your job is to ensure that prospective students find what they are looking for as quickly and as easily as possible. Squiz is the secret friction reducers that schools across the globe are using to not just attract the next generation of students, but nurture them to the point of enrollment in a way that is conducive and not counter to how they consume information and make purchasing decisions. You can learn more about Squiz at enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. I'm also remembering sort of uh, the whole conversation that was really the, the debate too around like the mobile app and like does every college or university like need their own mobile app? And I just remember like that was that was so contentious, uh, depending on who, who you talk to. And I, I remember even going to conferences not even not too long ago, and people were still preaching like, it, it, not not that it was like, not that mobile didn't matter, but it was very much still focused on kind of like desktop traditional experiences and all of the case studies that vendors were talking about. And mobile was like, a, an aspect of that, but very much sort of an afterthought. And like now you go anywhere, you talk to anyone that knows what they're talking about and people don't even differentiate between mobile and desktop anymore, right? right? Like that's not even a, de- a, a differentiation point that we spend much time talking about. So yeah, wow. What a, what a cool experience to be uh, be living in, you know, on the front lines during just this monumental change that our industry has gone through. Yeah, and one of the things kind of connect what we're talking about to mobile is is if you look at how many students had mobile phones, now it's up in the 99 percentile, 98 percent, depending on what school you're at. You know, they all have mobile phones, but but they're struggling in other ways. Yeah, yeah. So we really need to meet them where they're at, and we learned that fairly quickly. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's a nice segue into the, what I want to talk to you about today, uh, and, and really sort of like throughout this series is is thinking about the modern student, right, and how how we define the modern student, and really how we think about building systems, tools, uh, uh, marketing strategies, quite frankly, that are conducive to how students today search, how they consume information, the resources that they need to, to make a good decision on if, when, and where to go to school. And then once they've made that decision, the infrastructure that they need in place to successfully complete that program, right? To successfully uh, achieve that degree. So I'm excited for the next few few conversations where we'll get to unpack a lot of this. But I thought it would be it'd be helpful to kind of start by um, kind of framing how how you think about the modern student. And you know, we we went back and forth offline, kind of trying to figure out like how do we want to talk about. Uh, today's students. We we initially were going to talk specifically about Gen Z. Then we went back and forth, and you you made this really great point, which is like, hey, there are a lot of students that are in high, our higher education communities today that they're not Gen Z, right? So let's talk a little bit more comprehensively about about just who who is on our campuses, right? So I think it'd be cool to have you spend a little bit of time, if you don't mind, just sharing how you think about today's uh, today's undergraduate student, uh, today's sort of like modern learner, uh, and then just spending some time talking about sort of their their realities and uh, some of their some of their pain points and their issues, and then we can kind of phase into a discussion around what we might be able to do as as higher education marketers, as higher education technologists to help meet those needs. I'd love to. That's exactly where I'm headed to if I'm thinking the same thing. So I think we all need to acknowledge Gen Z, but we've heard it, I think, many times. Maybe some people haven't that they're expecting the Netflix and Amazon and Spotify experience. Yeah, right? it's already built in that to their. So we, we, we know that. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. But if you I have some data I'm going to drop on you here, that's that's pretty, I think, maybe su- surprise some people. Yeah. Um, that's that's a big group. Right. We still want the young students. We're still struggling. A lot of schools are struggling with enrollment. But if you look at, you know, one one benchmark is is, is people with disabilities, and I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But we know about one in four students have a disability. Okay, mm-hmm. we ADA is, is huge. We're higher ed does their best. They're one of the best industries for that. But if you look at one in four for dis- someone having a disability, and we put so much there's offices for that. There's one in five college students now that have children. Wow. One in five. Wow. There are one in three college students that are adult learners. And that's defined by over the age of 24, and that's from EAB research in 2019. Um, one in three are adult learners, and then one in three college students are receiving Pell Grants. So that's really an you know, indicator of, of their financial situation and their economic yeah. status. And, and another piece of data that came out in 2018 that kind of rippled across the country, it started in California, but the CSU did a, did a some research came out that was, that, that said, 41, over 41% of students um, had reported of CSU students, the California State University, had reported food insecurity um, in the in the past year. Wow. 41%. Wow. 10.9, almost 11% had reported homelessness in, in the past 12 months. And that was de- defined by housing and urban development and the U.S. Department of Education definitions combined. So in 2018, when that came out, that rippled across the country. Everyone was talking about it. And, and it really started here, though. So those are such huge groups that yeah. I think, you know, we, we focus on the disabilities because there's federal law behind that. But where's the, the laws behind all these other students? You know, if we're struggling so much for enrollment, we need to kind of realize all the different types of students that maybe we don't we don't think about all the time. And those are some some that I really 
have have become aware of from different different um, areas recently. And on that note, like I, I'm even just thinking, I feel like at the graduate school level, grad programs for a while have been good at, from a messaging standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, talking about, hey, you can enroll in this program, right? And you can still do your day job. You can still be present at home, right? And, it, you know, they, they've got that messaging down well. But based off of like the one in five, right, uh, of, of students having children, like I have never seen, and I'm sure one exists, but I have not. And I spent a lot of time looking at schools' websites and looking at schools' marketing materials. I haven't seen like a hey, this is where you should go, like, this is where you should go to school if you're a parent, right, of a young kid, and or here's how to manage your coursework with your little one at home or what have you at the undergraduate level, like, that, that, like, does not exist. And, like, talk about an opportunity, right? If you have, if you do your own research and determine that there's a high percentage of students at your respective school that meet this criteria, from a marketing standpoint, where are the materials that are that are helping show that yeah. kind of student, that student persona on your website, on your billboards, in your video campaigns, right? Um, that is that is jarring. Um, and and yeah, talk about sort of like not doing an effective job at or, or not even I, I won't even be critical here. Talk about like an opportunity for folks who are struggling with enrollment right. to think dramatically differently about their next marketing campaign. Yeah. So what do they need? They need flexibility, yeah. right? They need courses at different times of day. They need instructors that understand those types of things. Um, a little background about why I, I'm so involved in this. Like I, I went to college. I have a degree. I have a master's degree. I have two kids in college and my wife is, is running a program as um, administrator and doing her thesis on this type of stuff too. Okay. So, I'm, I'm so you're a pro. In, you're uh, a pro. Or we should get her on. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but the other thing I was going to tie back to mobile is, is one of the things we won awards for with the mobile app at Sacramento State was building a push notification system to let students know when there was food left over on campus. And when I talked about it a little bit at an East Coast conference, um, a, there was a little bit of a chuckle, like I almost like, are you joking? Like, because we have a joke, a joke list about this, like mm. back on the East Coast. But no, here in California, in this system, in this state system, that was the it was huge. It was the most popular part of our app. Wow. is is the free food um free food app wow wow so so what are your thoughts because you know a lot of a lot of folks who are tuning into this conversation are folks who are working at the vp or director level uh in a, in a marketing role and or in an enrollment management role and that's the, the our primary listenership here and so if they're if they're listening to this right they might what what i guess what what's a good what's a good like first step like if you want to think about this audience you want to do a better job of engaging them you want to be able to design and build resources to better attract them what are some of your thoughts on where folks who are in a marketing role and or in an admissions role what can they do what's like a first step they might be able to take yeah i think the biggest thing that it always comes down to is the funding um, you, you look at most schools now about a decade or so ago, they started implementing these parent and family programs. Most schools have them. There's not a real standard for how what how they work, what they support. Some schools have funding for them, some don't. But but those types of programs need money. They need yeah. backing. They're yeah. supporting so many um, students that that need help. Um, that's where it starts is is giving them them the, the resources they need, whether it's staffing or or, or budget line items and things like that. Um, you know, I, I think just staying in touch with your students. One thing that we did in Sacramento is um, 
back in around 2018, right around the time that survey, that, that data came out, we started doing these, we call them student technology advisory groups. Okay. And so we assumed a lot of things. I, I still felt like I knew my students, but, you know, let's get them in a room. We're just going to give them pizza. We're going to ask them the same questions every semester, right? The same one, same, same thing. Um, you know, eight students or so. And the very first one surprised me a little bit because what they said was, you know, how, how are you finding information? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and they were just, they would just go right to the search bar, but the, you learn so many, so many things in these, in, when you just get to students in the room, what do they need? So if you have more direct contact, I think with, with your audience and it's hard for VP, but maybe they can empower their mid-level and their, their staff to really, um, find out what their students are, are, are asking for or need. Um, that's, that's another good first step. Yeah. I, I also, uh, I'm glad you brought up the, the search bar, right. And like how thinking critically about how, how are these, how are these populations of students accessing information to begin with? Like what is their, what does their research process look like? And it's funny that you brought, you brought this up. I've talked about this. I feel like a, a number of times, uh, in different podcast episodes and in, in, in different series, but, um, my, I spend a ton of time like when I like when I go to a a Google Drive or a website like my 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 research flow I go to the search bar automatically 100% of the time and then it's only when I can't find something via search that then I'm like then I default to the navigation and I thought like I have I work with some folks who are 10 15 years older than me and um you know they they think very linearly and very hierarchically with like the how they organize their their content how they organize their foldering structure and whatnot but then i was hanging out with my brother my little brother nick who's um who he's actually in his uh sophomore year now this was a couple of years ago uh he was researching colleges and whatnot and i watched how he would go to websites and literally he would just it was as if the navigation wasn't there he'd immediately right. go and search for like business programs or whatnot and I'll, oftentimes right the thing that would po be pulled up would be like a business event like a recruitment event from like three years ago that just happened to like rank well because they were using like google site search or whatever right. and like we he would just like immediately like bounce if he couldn't find what he was looking for quickly and so you know, tying this back to what we were just discussing, I think one of maybe one of the like more practical things folks can start doing is talking to these different populations of students and getting a better sense for, hey, how, how would you find like, guess what, our campus does have a lot of resources, like you, you might just not be able to find them, right, or not be able to access them, because they're not conducive to how you actually search. So like, walk us through, it's almost like getting people in a room and say, hey, here's a challenge for you try to find this thing on our website, right? And then time it, see like, how long does it take? What are the keywords that they're using to, you know, search for, you know, benefits for, uh, you know, parents uh, on campus or resources for, for young parents or resources with for, for students with disabilities, whatever it might be. And that would be really interesting data to have at the local level at your respective college or university and to be able to then bring back to leadership and have a, have a wider discussion about, and that's how you get more resources. Agreed. That's a great point, Zach. Um, somewhat, it's still out there. I mean, it's not as prevalent, I think, as it used to be. This attitude that search is is the backup, and you're 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 on the other side, and I am too. Where search is really the first place we go, and it's the first place the younger generation will go. It's not a. It doesn't have to be the. It's not the backup. Yeah. It's not the. And, and often, often it kind of is split up by age. Sometimes I think so. When we're dealing with different generations of people. We have to make sure our content is flexible enough and our interfaces support those generations yeah. ultimately. Yeah, so well said. So how, how do how are you seeing 
Jeff, from your perspective, because I would imagine just based off of your your history, right? Um, you have access to things and or you know where to go. You, you've probably seen things come across your desk of examples of, of schools and or organizations that are doing some like really progressive work in this space. Do, do any come to mind as like good examples of like if I'm if I'm, you know, tuning into this conversation today and I want to I want to go look at a school that like might be doing this really well or might have taken good steps towards this. Who, who might I go look at? Yeah. And one example is that like how how are we filtering out? our academic information from our administrative information. Okay, uh, so I'll get to your answer in a second please, here. Yeah. But if we talk about that example, in higher ed, we have one of the most complex environments out there, right? We have we have students, we have prospective students, we have faculty, we have staff, we have community, we have athletics, we have all of these we're trying to satisfy and everyone on campus wants to satisfy these at some level. So let's take the example of, I'm looking for a business degree or a marketing degree, but I, but I end up with all these administrative, you know, results and maybe then there's the, there's the academic stuff I want, yeah. but you just see 10 blue links. So yeah. you're kind of confused, but and that's the norm. You just filter through it. That's one example. And some schools, what they're doing is they're separating that out. Why don't we separate out our academic information from our administrative information? And your search result page could really do that for you. And, and one school that's doing that well is, is D'Angelo College and University of Wyoming. They're doing things like that. Um, Gonzaga University, they've taken these steps. If mm. you look at their search results pages, um, you can see, oh, programs are here. Uh, the whole website information is over here. Directory information is here. So, you, you know, we can try to deal with the governance of like, hey, I'll just give too much content out there. There's the sprawl, which is a whole other conversation you and I might get into. But we have to deal with it at the top level as well. Yeah. Um, which which will be at the at the search or at the user interface. Um, and I think that's one good example of how some schools are doing that. One one of the questions I have for for people like you, Jeff, is we, we, we've been talking about personalization, right, and personalizing the student journey for probably like well over a decade at this point. And they anytime somebody talks about like personalized communications or personalized experiences, I just kind of like roll my eyes at this point, as I assume most of our listeners do, just because it's been it's been such an abused sort of like phrase. Um, it's like, what does that mean? Personalization is not just a per one personalization token in an email, right? Like, uh, and I, I just think that it can mean so many different things. Like, it, it's quite it's quite annoying, um, actually. Please, please react to that. And you want to say something? Yeah. Oh, I, I just love talking about personalization. So so we, we got to go back to the Netflix, Amazon, Spotify examples, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever talks about personalization when we talk about those things, you don't. Yeah. You 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 just it just works. Yeah, it just works. So it's yeah. so embedded, it's just there, and you don't they don't talk about that. Yeah. You know, I don't even think in the in the industry in their industries they talk about that. It's just so it's such a no brainer. Yeah. And we're so far behind that way. And the funny thing is, I have a story about this. Please. You know, because we tried personalization in two thousand three. 2003, we were on the cutting edge. I always wanted us to be on the cutting edge. We were almost on the bleeding edge of this because we, I'll remember, I'll even call out the company name we used at the point because they were the company was called Liquid Matrix. Okay, And it yes. was so cool what they showed us. Do you remember Liquid Matrix? I, 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 I know, I, I've heard about it. Uh, and I know I know some folks who have, have used it, but no, but no, I, I never so, used it. So Datatel, Datatel bought them eventually, but but we were one of their first clients and they showed us how they, we could personalize our homepage and our different pages. And we're like, oh, we're all in. We want to do that. So so it would show, okay, a science photo. If we knew the this, this student had, had said they were interested in science majors and science content or, or whatever type. And so we implemented it. 
and we built up our photo bank and all this. But, you know, it was the marketing team. We were picking the content. And, and, and so the science department comes to us and like, that's not the right equipment we use. That's not right. And we're like, okay, okay, whatever. You yeah. manage it. You manage the photos. You manage it, okay? And then we're, and we're like, oh, great, we got it fixed. They couldn't, we couldn't manage it. We couldn't keep up. The partners couldn't keep up with the personalization. So to get to the point, that's the old days, okay? Yeah. When we, you, that's the challenge is how you keep up with that content. Now we can automate this. We have AI. Yeah. We know we can use data stores and find out. We know what our students want. We know what they like. You know, we all have our campus portals. We're kind of behind on this. Yeah. You know, a lot of times like a good campus portal right now is having everything behind single sign-on. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. A bunch of links. That's a that's a standard campus portal. That's that's everyone's kind of right there. Some are doing better, but that's the essence of personalization is your portals where you need to start where it's a no-brainer. When someone logs into your campus portal, they need to see everything that's just what they need to see, and it's it's almost it's tied to search. Yeah, it is yeah. almost a baseline for search because you have to segment the content before you you don't even want them to be considering content that's not for them. Yeah. yeah. So um, well, I'm and, and maybe getting a little off track here, but I think we it has to be done. Yeah. And I think it's been shunned a little bit because it's seen different ways. There's another way people said, okay, let's let people personalize their portal. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? We tried that. They don't. That's not what we need to be doing. We don't need to be dragging and dropping where their channels. Where and what colors they can use, one to two percent of people were personalizing their campus portal at Sacramento. One to two percent, and it caused havoc for the service desks. So <laughs> the personalization is that: what do we know about you? Not allowing you to change things on your page. What do we know about you to make your life easier? Um, it, it has to happen. It will happen because we have the we have AI to do it now. Yeah, um, yeah, so and, we'll and get I, there. I hope. No, yeah, yeah, and I want to dive into all this and. Um... I, I just real fast, I, I just hit me why I know Liquid Matrix is because I believe that was Dave Marshall's company, and Dave yep, uh, is was. now the is, was is the founder of Mongoose now. Okay, that's that's how I know. Yes, Dave's a great guy. Um, anyhow, so and what what I, what I was getting at with this personalization conversation and the in like my issue with it is that um like I, when I think about I'm glad you brought up the Netflix uh, example as well. Like I have never been on a college or university website where after a few clicks, right? Like after I've I've identified my interest in um, a business program for instance, when you scroll down to the program page, like it's even just a simple recommendation engine that says something like <laughs> you know, people that like this major also have considered these. Like schools have this data. Like this is not hard data to access, right? It 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 exists right behind the you know, the portal, and the fact that there aren't better recommendation engines like we would expect on any website built in 2022 is is shocking to me. And I, I'm sure that there are a couple schools that are doing this well. And I, I really want to shout them out if, if, if you know of them, because I again, I spent I spent hours and hours looking through schools websites every week. And like, it's just jarring to me. And I, I'll click around like I'll, I'll give them data about myself. I've done lots of secret shopper experiments, right? And it's it giving more information about myself to the school doesn't better my experience. And that's what's really frustrating. So when I think back to like the modern learner, right? And I think about like the modern student and their challenges, their friction points that you identified earlier, there there is just so much ground that I feel like needs to make up to make the process of figuring out what you need, finding the information that you need in seconds, not minutes. Because again, these people, they don't have time. And unfortunately for all of us, the every other brand in the world in 2022 that is meaningful in any you know significant way 
has made it really easy to find what you need and what you're looking for. And I feel like in, in education, we're just dramatically, dramatically behind. And I, I, I imagine it's maybe a resources thing, but at the end of the day, like, you know, school, a lot of these schools have budgets. I, I don't understand like where, I don't know if it's a prioritization thing. So help me, help me, Jeff, help me understand like, why, why aren't we better? Is it really just because yeah. we have no money? I think it's a symptom of of the the institution itself, the the old fashioned mo- traditional model of higher ed, the hierarchy of administration, and how complex the administrative org chart is. Hmm. Because when when you're talking to the organization, there's so many people that need to sign off, and so many people that can just say something and kill a project or an idea, and that's just how. So higher ed is usually governed by a consensus, kind of, yeah. and that's their model, right? That's the tenured professor, that's everyone, and so it's this traditional model that's being challenged now by all these private you know, Coursera and Khan Academy. And the, so they're going to have to do it because the, the you, you have to say the university degree is, is becoming less valuable with all the different things out there yep. um, in the technical world or different types of education where you can get a Google certification. Um, so they, they're getting challenged now and they're going to have to, which is great for everyone, I think. Um, but I think that's really the challenge is, is it comes down to money, but it's also it's because so many people have a say in, in how you know, it has to kind of be everyone agrees we're going to go this direction, Yeah. you know, which is usually good, but can really slow you down. Yeah. On, on this note, as we're talking about sort of the the modern student and their needs, their challenges, kind of like ooh, the, the reality that they're facing. I'm also uh, you mentioned early on about flexibility, right, and how these these students, right, regard they have more complicated home lives, maybe than students in the past. Um, and. How, how do we go about making coursework way more flexible? How do we go about making recruitment events and just, the, the, you know, accessing information about uh, a particular program or major more accessible? Um, and I'm reminded, actually, of of my brother and his, uh, again, and a couple of his friends and the way that they thought about college. So they, they were the class that, like, they graduated high school in um 20 yeah the the spring of 2020 so they they were the ones that like didn't have like a you know high school graduation and it was really tough and yada 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 and a lot of them a lot of his particular group they ended up changing their college decisions when they found out that they were they were gonna have to be remote uh for either the first semester or the first year my brother my brother and a couple of his buddies actually had been working at starbucks at the time and so that what they decided to do is they decided to uh, unenroll from the schools that they were interested in. They decided to do ASU online, free from Starbucks, right, to be able to get uh, it, it paid for, um, w- fully with the intention of transferring to a, a four-year institution at some point, right? And I was talking to my brother recently, and I was like, hey, yeah, by the way, like, why did you, you so you decided on ASU online because you got it free through, Star- for, free, uh, through Starbucks, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, but he's like, but what I also did is like, I, I researched some other online programs too to see like w- which one would I have the best chance of like taking as many credits as possible and transferring to you know a, a, a four year institution at some point. And he said ASU online like literally mapped out how I would do this for me. And so because of that, I I did that for two years. Right? He just transferred to a state institution in in Virginia, and all of his credits, every single one of them, transferred. He doesn't have to repeat a single class, and he was like. It was such an easy, seamless process. And a couple of his buddies did exactly the same thing in different schools. And so, anyways, all this is to say, I do think the future, like the, not even the future, the modern student, right, who ha- who wants to take a slightly different you know, path for whatever reason, 
is going to need the, the schools that make it super easy that map out, hey, here's how you go and do this. Here's how you actually save money. Here's how here's why you should start at the community college if you're worried about money. But then here are all the different things that we're going to help you do along the way so that when you are ready to transfer, we're here for you. And I feel like if schools really double down, especially schools that are hurting on those sorts of strategies, like that's that's the ticket, right? Like at least like that that is one possible pathway towards success that not enough people are exploiting, quite frankly. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Zach. Um, that's a great path we need to pay more attention to. Um, I thought of another thing too that you know we're talking about how technology can help these students, yeah. right? Yeah. What we can do now. And, and if you talk about the student who's really struggling, um, some recent data, I can't, I can't quote where it came from, like said that they're really concerned about the cost of living these days when they graduate, how they can cover the cost of living. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we help students when we don't know that they're struggling? And so technology can really help us with that. And something some schools are doing and we should be doing more of probably is maybe in your learning management system, you see that your students haven't logged in X number of times in the first two or three weeks. Hmm. You say they haven't spent enough time um, in discussion groups, whatever that is. And so at the faculty level, the LMS can provide that. Um, different tools are allowing us to provide this data, um, even predictive analytics to, you know, to say like, there's even companies out there like uh, that can say like we're we're querying looking at the zip codes yeah. versus the grades and being like hey guess what there was a power outage here like this day um we we know there's going to be problems like they can do all sorts of things that we don't you would never know to ask as a as a university administrator as well so it's tough to keep up with but it's almost like um a, all these ideas can come from from anywhere but we need to really start thinking that way i think is how can we um and even like a chat bot that um that's anonymous where students, the, you know, that some schools are saying, okay, let's just check in with our students, either all students or students that meet a certain criteria and just say, Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. And whoever responds back, you know, so it's anonymous. They don't have to walk in anywhere. And there's way we use technology that I think that'll help them maybe be more comfortable asking for help. Um, so those are things I just wanted to make sure we got out there. Yeah, no, those are great. And, and on that note, uh, another question for you, like, when you think about the rolling out of, of new technology, right, um, whether it's like a chatbot, right, whether it's um, a, I guess an LMS would be for, for enrolled students, but like when you think about sort of like the right place to to launch something new, is it is it in admissions? Is it in is it in student success with current students? Like when you think about the chatbot example that you just shared, I think one of one of the friction points is like, Anything that's new, it's like, all right, are we trying to go all in? Is, is this a university-wide solution? And I feel like university-wide solutions, unless there's really strong leadership, tend to like not go that well. Versus if you start something and you launch something in like admissions or, or advancement or like one strategic unit on campus, then you figure out how this actually works, and then you can roll it out and and make it make sense in in other contexts. So, from your experience, like, where is the best place to kind of test and or and or launch new things yeah that's a great question um because it is a struggle to unless you're really on it have full buy-in to, to launch to have a university-wide initiative be successful when you talk about like a, a division or department launching something on their own you know i was on the other side of that so i was in it and we would see these come up all over the place yeah. it's maddening sometimes <laughs> but but you can do it right because if you keep it involved and, and it's almost like a hybrid to what you're saying, like either you launch something separate or it's enterprise, 
um, for the whole institution. I think there's a middle ground there. I think mm. I think you you have a special use case. For example, if it's a um, if it's a chatbot, maybe your first use cases are financial aid and advising. Yeah. And you're like, this is what we're doing. If these other advising entities on campus want to come on board, we would love to have them, but we're doing this. Yeah. Okay. Let's make sure IT is involved. And this is our first two use cases. Um, but if anyone else wants to, to use a chatbot, please check with us first before you go buy your own. Something like has to be something like that. Um, but I think I think more success happens when it's not IT driving it. When you're saying like it should be the it should be the you know alumni or advancement admissions that are picking the CRM. They know that the CRMs that they they're going to be better at that or or the student success side, or they should be the leader yeah. and have the IT support. So I, I think more towards your model is probably, there's no way to stop it these days. If you think about the old CIO used to manage their LMS and their SIS and maybe their CMS and what's the next upgrade. Maybe I'm integrating with a data warehouse. They had a handful of systems. See, the IT people can't keep up anymore. Yeah. So what's happening is these market, these companies are getting so clever, marketing right to faculty. Faculty can now get used any solution for for free or dot, dot, with a dot edu pricing and so now a cio is like wow i have 30 of my faculty using this maybe i need to get an enterprise license huh you know so we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to stop that so we need to be able to take in these different solutions and the way your kind of your model i think is is the way yeah yeah it's at least a way um and and i i do feel like anyway. <laughs> yeah when, when it comes to when it comes to these these new these new things, too, it, it, I think sometimes we can get into shiny object syndrome. We can fall into shiny object syndrome where we want to like, you know, there's always that one person on campus that like <laughs> has to have the new thing all the time, right? This next thing is going to be the silver bullet. This is going to thing that's going to solve our problems, and it's important to be to be skeptical of that. At the same time, I feel like oftentimes things get killed in court because to your earlier point, there's too many layers of approval, approval that have to happen. And therefore, like nothing, nothing actually, you know, uh, materializes because people just get frustrated and they get tired and they're like, well, you know what? Forgive me for being innovative. Forgive me for thinking about thinking we should try to solve this problem. This isn't technically in my job title, like my job description, but yeah. I just noticed a problem and it proposed a solution. And this is why I don't, this is why I don't share my ideas, you know, and, and then people just get really negative and whatnot. So I, as we kind of like close out this episode, when you think about um, kind of structures in place or, or units in place that can help uh, wrestle with these really important questions around, hey, how do we better leverage technology for specific strategic units on campus? What are, you know, how do we ensure that we're meeting uh, the, the needs of, of the learners, the modern learners on our campuses? Like, have you seen any like interesting like models or like tasks task forces or or, or like uh, communities of people on campuses that are that are doing this well that are like really trying to to uh, bridge these gaps? We'll we'll have a whole episode where we'll talk about silos, but like a anything come to mind of like a, a good example or maybe even from your own experience a, a, a nice anecdote or two of how these various uh, sections these various units on campus have been able to come together and and help wrestle with and, and discuss these problems yeah i can think of one maybe good story that comes to mind after a big project we launched in sacramento um to redo we re completely revamp our website but uh, you know i'm like you know to do this successfully we need to have some web governance going forward so we don't have this proliferation problem anymore so how do we how do we do that yeah. it doesn't want to be the bad guy all the time 
So we did create a really a pretty good model for 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 web governance, I would say. And I think the key is to have start with a champion. You got to have your CIO, your VP of Student Affairs, or someone that really wants to do it. Yeah. Once you have that one person, if they can say, "Yeah, we need to have this," I hate to say it, but committee or whatever you want to call it on campus, um, your your strategic governance web, you know, digital committee to 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 really come to the table. However, you, however that looks, we met monthly in person. Hmm. And after the project, we met and we had 20 people in this in this web governance committee, and most of them would show up. And wow. actually, most of them were on Zoom. Um, it was it was mostly easy, but but it, it it drove it. Okay, and it depends on the campus. And we would say, hey, here's the things on the table. Here's what we want to do. Does anyone else have anything going on you want to talk about? This is where you come bring to the table what's going on in your area. Yeah. And it would be pretty formal. Like, yeah. okay, you brought this to the table. What does everyone think? Yeah. Um, and I think it's not that hard to do. It yeah. takes it takes that one person that really needs to do it. And whatever variation looks like on your campus, you just need to get, you know, you can't handle everybody, but how do you get a good cross section of the academic side and you know, all the different entities out there to really talk to each other about kind of what they're doing and and you know, that's one way to do it is just really establish a process on campus that, that looks like that. Um, and it, I guess it could go to any level, whether it's your, you have a big division, maybe your division has the same thing. I know the IT division had a similar, um, there's, we had pockets of that type of thing and it was getting pretty good at Sacramento when I left, um, the governance cause some, some leaders came in that were pretty good at, um, kind of establishing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's a great example. And I think, uh, hopefully we'll offer a lot of a lot of hope for folks tuning in. I would I would just add one thing to that. Um, finding ways to add students to those to those committees, right? Or to those groups. And just like there is something so refreshing. And I know it's difficult, but like when you have a, a younger person who's the actual like user, right? Of of the 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 new process or the new tool or whatever it is that you're trying to stand up. Having them like hear some of these conversations and understand how you all are thinking about that, and then they can shed light on like, hey, this thing that none of you guys are talking about is actually a problem, and or hey, this thing that you all think will be a problem actually isn't a problem for us, right? Like, I, I feel like the student voice in those conversations are often missing, and I think I, I would just argue that they're highly, highly, highly relevant. And the most progressive schools who are thinking about these things and, and wrestling with them should have these students a part of these conversations. That's a great point, Zach. And the way we did it there was, um, you know, when student govern student um, governance bodies on campuses are established, those those officers often have to do things like that to get their whatever they're getting in that position, and they they want to, they yeah. want to help. So yeah, it's a great point. Well, great, Jeff. This has been a wonderful first episode of our special series uh, between Enrollify and Squiz. For folks that want to connect with you and just learn a little bit more about uh, the work that you're that you're doing at Squiz and or just want to follow up with a question and or connect with you on social, what's the best way for them to, to reach out? I would say look me up on LinkedIn um, or um, you can always reach out to us at squiz.net. Wonderful. And we'll go ahead and throw those links in the show notes below. So if you're listening to this conversation, you want to ask Jeff a follow-up question and or learn a little bit more about what he and the Squiz team are up to, uh, just scroll on down to the show notes and click on over to the appropriate link. Jeff, thank you for your time, man. This has been great. Thanks, Zach. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. 
Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.